I'm Ben Dominich. I'm Ainsley Earhart. I'm Trey Gowdy, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Wednesday, October 5th, 2022. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. Ohio's been trending red for years now, but a Democratic congressman thinks he's going to be the state's next senator. As he distances himself from the president on some critical issues, his opponent still calls him a rubber stamp for the Biden administration. Whether you're Democrat or Republican, if it's good for Ohio, I'm going to be there to support it. I'm not, I really don't care about the party politics. I do think we need to be Americans first, and people are sick of all these political fights. We speak with Ohio's Democratic Senate candidate and Congressman Tim Ryan. I'm Dave Anthony. It's been a week since Hurricane Ian hit Florida with fury. I refer to it as Southwest Florida's version of Hurricane Andrew. It's so devastating that it's going to change a lot of things as we learn from it and rebuild from it. And I'm Tammy Bruce. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. This week, we spoke with Ohio Republican Senate candidate J.D. Vance about what appears to be a tight Senate race in a state that's been leaning red for the last several election cycles. But when it comes to that tightness, Vance is skeptical of the polling, as data out of Ohio has been wrong before. Donald Trump was supposed to lose to Hillary Clinton. Donald Trump was supposed to lose to Joe Biden. Of course, he won by by eight and a half points uh, Mm. each time. So I'm, I'm highly skeptical of the media narrative that this race is super close. He says his opponent, Democratic Congressman Tim Ryan, has been good at distancing himself from his own record. And our job is to remind people that he is not the moderate that he pretends to be in his TV commercials. He is, in fact, a rubber stamp for Biden and Pelosi. The pressure is on them both, as the balance of power in the Senate could flip Republicans' way with just one win. Though, of course, that means keeping what they have first. And Ohio's current Senator Rob Portman, a Republican, is retiring. A Democratic win here would obviously make for a steeper climb for the GOP, though the Fox News power rankings and Cook Political rate this seat as lean Republican. Yeah, I actually think uh, we're winning. <laughs> I mean, the, the beat on the ground is very, very positive. Congressman Tim Ryan is Ohio's Democratic nominee for Senate. We have a lot of Republican support of people who are coming over and helping us, two-time Trump voters, a lot of veterans, a lot of people that just they like my message on taking on China, bringing back manufacturing. And I've got a record here of bringing those you know, investments here. We've got chip manufacturing. We're building electric vehicles, cars, trucks, batteries, solar panels, going all in on natural gas. I've been at the forefront of all this. Uh, over my career, and they recognize that. So Rob Portman's former chief of staff is leading a big Republicans for Ryan initiative here in the state. So it feels great on the ground. I don't think polling is capturing all of that. And I think we're going to win this thing. And we're just going to make sure we, you know, continue to touch voters around the state in the next five weeks. I know you know who Mark Weaver is. He advises on Ohio politics and campaigns. And he wrote an op-ed saying that he's sort of doubting the polling as well, that, for example, one poll relied on people with college degrees as respondents uh, at a 45% rate. And that doesn't really reflect Ohio's population. When you hear from somebody like that, who's sort of casting doubt, does that throw you off at all? Or it sounds like it doesn't. <laughs> well, no, what tells me that this is close or we're not winning is the fact that Mitch McConnell has come in with $30 million to try to rescue J.D. Vance. I mean, the fact that, you know, President Trump's here and the fact that Ron DeSantis is here and that Ted Cruz is coming and Marjorie Taylor Greene, like they're scared to death that they're going to lose this race. And, you know, if you believe in markets working, well, this is the political market working. Uh, And the fact that Mitch McConnell got to rescue J.D. Vance. 
tells me that they're very, very nervous about that. And I know that that to me says everything you need to know. And I think they're putting more money in, which says that the first tranche of money they put up didn't work. So they want to keep putting money in here. So that's all you really need to know. And I kind of, you know, I'm, I'm, I kind of like it. I like the fact that, you know, we're taking on the establishment. We're taking on all the big money and we're still winning. And that makes me happy. And that tells me that Ohioans really want to vote for an Ohio and they don't want to vote for somebody who's got to rely on, you know, even Donald Trump said from the stage in Youngstown, Ohio, that J.D. Vance is kissing his ass. Like people don't want an ass kisser in Ohio. They want an ass kicker. And, and that's why we're staying ahead in the polls. <laughs> you've said you're running as an American, right? Not a member of a party. I think you've said that a few times. But I want to ask, because, for example, as a member of Congress, 538, which follows all the politics and all the polling and all the data, they put your voting record as being 100% with President Biden. I know your opponent, Mr. Vance, has said that you're a rubber stamp for the president. What is your response to that? How would you shift... Or would you shift as a senator on that voting record? Well, I will tell you that, you know, I voted with Donald Trump on trade and supported him on China, voted with him to renegotiate NAFTA, voted with him on his defense budget. So I voted with Trump on the things I thought were good for Ohio and good for the country. Let's talk about what I did vote for, like a bipartisan infrastructure bill that's going to create 600,000 jobs in Ohio, uh, the CHIPS Act that helped us land the Intel project here that's going to be $100 billion. We're going to manufacture cutting-edge computer chips in Ohio, average wage $135,000 a year since we passed the Inflation Reduction Act, which not only puts about $300 billion down on deficit reduction, uh, it also invests into natural gas, which is a huge industry here in Ohio, building solar panels, building all the electric cars, trucks, and batteries, and the things that I mentioned. We've seen private sector investment come into Ohio since we passed that. So if it's good for Ohio, I'll support it. But you know what? Joe Biden wanted to reduce tariffs on the Chinese solar panels. I'm fighting him on that. He wants to deal with uh, stuff at the border with Title 42 and get rid of that. I'm fighting him on that stuff. So if he's doing something that I don't think is right, I fight him on it. Not everything comes up for a vote, but my record is pretty clear. Whether you're Democrat or Republican, if it's good for Ohio, I'm going to be there to support it. And I'm not you know, I really don't care about the party politics. I do think we need to be Americans first, and people are, are sick of all these political fights. On that front, you know, President Biden this year has mentioned that he would support breaking the Senate filibuster to get voting rights through and abortion access through. I don't know how close that is to being on the table, but would you support setting that kind of precedent, breaking the filibuster for certain issues? Yeah, I think that Every legislative body in the whole country, every town council, city council, county commission, whatever it may be, is 50 percent plus one majority should rule. And I don't care if the Democrats are in charge or the Republicans are in charge, but you shouldn't have to get 60 votes to pass something. I worry that countries like China can immediately make decisions and get the government moving in a direction that's going to benefit them. And I just worry that we're going to continue to have this level of paralysis in the country inability to get things done unless we reform the filibuster. You should at least have to stand down there and speak your piece or stay on the floor. I mean, I'm, I'm open to how we do it. But what about the notion that the filibuster calms people down, cools things off and gives the Senate more of that gravitas and more of that time to consider things? You, you think this whole thing should be done away with? Well, I think, you know, the fact that they have six year terms should be enough to have people have a level head about things. 
um, as opposed to running every other year and Hmm. having to raise money and all of that stuff. I think there's a lot of ways to address that. But look, we need people to be adults and have guts. And part of it is the guts to take on your own party, to say no. Like, no, we can't do that. Yes, I'm a Democrat, but you're trying to do something, and I'm going to say no, like I did with President Biden on the student loan issue. I said no. This is not what we need to be doing right now. And so we need to elect politicians with guts, and and that will take care of 90% of the problems that we have in the country. We can't have a bunch of people who are just following party leadership. I ran against Nancy Pelosi. I got in fights with Bernie Sanders. And I'll be just as much of a pain in the rear end to Chuck Schumer as I was to Nancy Pelosi. But the reality of it is, if you have leaders with guts, the country will move in the right direction. There's some polling data out of your state that shows women are breaking for you. And this is, of course, of note following the Supreme Court's overturning of Roe. Um, But their overturning made this a state's issue. And I wonder, Lindsey Graham proposals aside, what could or would a senator actually do on this front? Like, would you back some sort of national choice law or something? Well, I think the reason women are coming our way is, one, because of the Dobbs decision, but also because Vance's position are so extreme. I mean, he called rape inconvenient and wants to force somebody, a woman underage, even if she's raped, to bring the baby to term. The rapist baby, state-mandated pregnancy. I mean, this is huge government overreach. This is big government in our doctor's office, in our bedroom. And so, you know, I, being in the Senate, would vote to go back to Roe v. Wade to codify 50 years of law that, you know, had stability for the country. Now we have nothing but chaos. The stories come out weekly in Ohio of young girls who are raped, who can't get help in Ohio. They have to go to Illinois. And if it was up to Lindsey Graham and J.D. Vance, they'd have to go to Toronto. So from the Senate, I think you can be in a position to codify Roe v. Wade and let's move on from the, the chaos that J.D. Vance wanted. Just a couple more for you. Uh, From your position in Congress, you know, this past year we saw a record number of people come into the U.S. On top of just this year, an estimated half a million gotaways. Fentanyl is flowing over the border, as you know. Do you support the Biden administration's handling of the border, Title 42 issues aside, which you mentioned? And do you believe, as some in this administration have said, that the border is secure? We, We need to be much stronger on the border. We need more border patrol. We need to use technology better at the border. I started the Border Technology Caucus, which is a a Democrat and Republican group, to say how can we take the technology we have in the country and figure out how to use it to keep this junk out of our country? How do we use it to keep and know who's in and out of the country? I mean, there's 8 billion people in the world, and most of them want to live in the United States, but they all can't live here. So we need an orderly process of people. Of course, we should help refugees and people who are you know, threatened and losing their lives, and we shouldn't be ripping babies from their parents ever in this country. But we do need to know who's in the country. And if they've been here, they should pay a fine. They should pay back taxes. They should have to pass a background check. But, you know, we I don't want our kids and grandkids fighting about immigration law in 10 or 20 years. We've got to get this thing figured out. And that means working across the aisle with a reasonable plan that can both secure our border, let us know who's in the country, and keep this junk out of the country who's killing so many people. And the reality of it is this stuff is coming from China and it goes to Mexico to get processed. And so we need to punish China and punish Mexico for doing this. Finally, um, I know you told our Fox News Digital team that you're you're not inviting the president to campaign with you. You're standing on your own two feet, I think were your words. Um, You've been asked about campaigning with the president before. And I just want to ask, you know, 
Is it just honestly like, look, Ohio's been leaning red. It's an independent-minded place. You're in a unique position here. So it just wouldn't make sense to highlight that kind of bridge with the president with the kinds of voters you're trying to persuade right now, even if you voted with him most often. Well, when you invite somebody in and they become your voice, you're giving up your voice, and then you take on all of their enemies as well. And, you know, I don't want to be in a position where I have to take on anyone else's enemies. I am a very unique candidate. I have a very unique voice. And, you know, I don't want anybody else to be my voice. No one can quite say how I feel like I can. And I want to stand on my own two feet, even if it's in front of Mitch McConnell's $30 million and Peter Thiel's $15 million and all these big politicians from D.C. are coming in to help J.D. I don't care. I'm going to stand on my own. I don't need a rescue squad, and that's how I want it. Whether I win or I lose, I'm going to do it on my own with with my own voice, and I'll be able to live with the results either way. Speaking of Peter Thiel, he says that he thinks Ohio's done, that J.D. Vance is going to win it, and he's shifting over to Blake Masters in Arizona. What do you think of that? (laughs) Well, you know, the fact that he already propped J.D. up with $15 I think he's right. Ohio is done. It's going for Tim Ryan, so he's right. (laughs) Congressman Tim Ryan, thank you so much for joining us. All right. Thank you. Shipping can make or break a sale. So optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. This is Tammy Bruce with your Fox News commentary coming up. President Biden will go to Florida today to get an eyeful of Hurricane Ian's destruction. The whole community's devastated. It looks like a war zone. And uh, I would say at least half the homes are not going to be able to be repaired to, to live in them. He is in Charlotte County. The damage the fierce winds and violent storm surge did is even worse on barrier islands like Fort Myers Beach and Sanibel and Pine Island hit first and hardest and cut off. The bridges are completely washed out. Um, The only way to get there is by air, helicopter or by boat. So we have been moving pallets upon pallets of food and water. He is with the National Guard. Hundreds of thousands of storm victims still have no power. And not just on the coast. There was bad flooding inland up to the Orlando area. This man was rescued from flooding in Arcadia, 50 miles from Fort Myers. Obviously, we had to come through the boat, and it was pretty rough. We thought we were going to flip. The currents were pretty bad, but uh, thankfully we're here. More than 100 people did not survive Hurricane Ian, with most of those deaths in Florida. I refer to it as Southwest Florida's version of Hurricane Andrew. It's so devastating that it's going to change a lot of things as we learn from it and rebuild from it. Craig Fugate is a former FEMA administrator, now chief resiliency officer for One Concern. What you're seeing is what water does. Um, People look at that, and I think some people think that's wind damage. That's what the power of the storm surge and that water rushing in and the pounding waves on structures just takes everything out in this path that isn't built for those types of events. You know, I I think the, the term storm surge, it doesn't do justice to what it is. I mean, it's so devastating to watch the videos of those streets that look just like a roaring ocean 
when Ian came ashore. It, it's so violent and so powerful. Storm surge seems like just a term that doesn't fit what, what happens. I think what we really need to focus on is forecasting and providing people, both decision makers and the publics, on the impacts of these storms. And really, I, this is the work you know, the weather service is already doing with social scientists, but really get with the social scientists and get with people and says, when you heard storm surge, what did you think? And what would have, you know, having now gone through this, how should we have been describing this so it would have matched up before it happened with what the impacts you saw? Certainly there are people on Fort Myers Beach or Sanibel or some of those places where Ian hit first, that if they knew what was going to happen would not have stayed. I think there's a certain skepticism, right? Generally, the media is just trying to scare us. It's not going to be that bad. We've been through these before. One of the challenges is, and I think this is something that we'll hopefully do, we've done it in past hurricanes, is go survey people in the area of impact who went through the storm and ask them what they did. Did they evacuate it? Well, why did you evacuate? What information did you use to do that? If you didn't evacuate, you know, how did you get your information? How do you make that decision? And this isn't about being critical of their decision. It's about asking them, how did they get to that decision? And if information was presented differently, would it have changed that decision? And if it was presented differently, how do you convey that in a way that somebody who hasn't ever been through this understands when we're saying something like storm surge that may be a little bit too sanitized? I mean, I was telling people, and I think, you know, we talk about the leading cause of death in hurricanes is water. You know, we never say the leading cause of death in hurricanes is drowning. That's a different image to people if they understand that storm surge, the deaths are likely to be to drowning. When we watch stories of major floods, like we see uh, rushing water, we see places like Kentucky where streets become rivers, we see homes that are flooded. But in this case, you have the ocean coming in. Some people drowned in their own homes because the ocean came in and filled the house up and they died inside. That is something that most people, I don't know if they visualize that possibility. No, if you go back to Superstorm Sandy, the majority of the people who lost their lives during that storm also drowned. We've had situations in Florida where it wasn't a hurricane. It was a low-pressure system coming off the Gulf and up in communities that are near where I live in Dixie and Taylor County. The water came in so fast that people drowned in their homes. And I think that's the thing people don't get, the speed this water comes in. I've heard several people say, you know, one minute I'm on dry land, the next couple of minutes I'm in the Gulf of Mexico with waves crashing through my windows and I'm going upstairs and the water is following me. That is so frightening to think about. Now, of course, there are a lot of people who are in the boat of now what? They don't have a home anymore or it's so badly damaged they can't live there anymore. It's a daunting thing to deal with. The first step I has to be insurance. Most of the people have it. I mean, you can't get a mortgage without it, but not everybody has flood insurance, right? Uh, they estimate roughly 20% of the areas that had seen impact had flood insurance. We know the further inland you go, and as you move away from the storm surge and you're now dealing with the inland flooding, that the rate of flood insurance drops. But you're right, you start with your insurance and you file your claims. Uh, if you did have flood insurance, FEMA has accelerated a program and they are doing partial payments. A big piece of that that I think people need right now is housing assistance where FEMA will provide vouchers for hotels and motels or rental properties 
understanding there's not a lot of that available in this area with the devastation. So people are going to have to go out of that area, but it gives them a place to go to while they start that recovery process. People can get loans too, right? The Small Business Administration makes loans available. And because it's SBA, people think, I'm a homeowner. What's that going to do for me? Well, yeah, if you lost fences or outbuildings and stuff that your insurance doesn't cover and you need to make repairs, the Small Business Administration makes loans to both businesses and homeowners for the uninsured losses in the disaster area. And then if you don't have insurance, you're economically just not able to take out a loan. That's where the FEMA assistance and their individual assistance program comes in, and it will provide some funding to people who are uh, who have their homes damaged, but also renters. And if we didn't have, you know, if we see people who didn't have flood insurance had major damage, the amount of money that FEMA provides is not going to make them whole, but it starts the process. And this is where you're already hearing the congressional delegation, both of the state senators talking about additional assistance. So things like the HUD uh, Community Block Development Grant Program for disasters will need funds there. After Hurricane Ian hit Florida, it moved into Georgia, then out to sea. And then on Friday, another landfall into South Carolina and North Carolina, where four people were killed. That same day, Vice President Harris inserted some controversy into the federal response, telling a Democratic National Committee event, low-income communities and communities of color are the most impacted. And so we have to address this in a way that is about giving resources based on equity, understanding that we, we fight for equality, but we also need to fight for equity, understanding not everyone starts out at the same place. Well, that was widely criticized by Republicans. Congressman Byron Donalds tells Fox... Listen, I just I couldn't disagree more with the vice president. Now is not the time to be talking about who gets what based upon where you started. It's about helping people. What does Craig Fugate think? If you think about FEMA's programs, if you've got areas that are better insured, that's not where FEMA needs to be. Now, the search and rescue and all that's going to focus on where those impacts are. But in this recovery process, you know, what I found is you need to go where the greatest need is. That's not always where the cameras are. That may not always be the parts of the community that everybody sees, but the needs are greater there. Uh, FEMA's programs are really geared to people that don't have insurance or didn't have enough insurance that are going to be struggling to recover. Now, I want to ask you about the insurance because suddenly... Insurance companies have this huge amount of property to deal with and an unbelievable number of people and customers in need. You also have to weigh that against you are dealing with your property. You have to get things out of your property. Things are damaged or destroyed. You have to throw them away. You're probably not going to see anyone from the insurance company before you have a chance to do that. What do you do? How do you get rid of things that you know are destroyed before you even talk to somebody with the insurance company? Well, hopefully you got a phone. Even if you don't have cell service, if your phone's got a camera, take pictures of everything the way it was and start cleaning up. And FEMA's clear on this in their guidance on flood insurance. You don't have to wait for the adjuster to show up to start making repairs and mucking out the home. Just take pictures of it document it, and go to work. Unfortunately, we know not everybody's a good person. We've had some arrests for looting. But at this time, in all these disasters, people always show up ready to scam people out of their money, their insurance money, their FEMA money, and all that. What should people know when they're trying desperately to get work done in their home? First thing is FEMA never charges for inspections 
or charges for the application. Anybody telling you you got to pay them to get FEMA money, they're scamming you. Second thing, anybody that comes in is offering to do work, first thing you need to ask for is where's your contractor license? This is to protect you because if you have unlicensed people on your property who get hurt, you may be now liable not only for the damages you had, but for their workman's comp claim because they didn't have workman's comp on those workers. Also, they may not be doing work to code. You have programs like the blue roof operation that the Army Corps of Engineers is, is putting out there. Again, if you register and qualify for that blue roof, that's done for you at no cost. It's paid for by the federal taxpayers. So when people are coming in and asking for money up front, be very, very careful. None of the federal programs require you to pay for those services. And make sure the person that is prepared to do the work is a licensed contractor, that they're licensed in that area. And again, I, I think there are people that take advantage of that. We've seen the horror stories where people gave them a check for a roof repair and they never showed back up. And lastly, these people who are dealing with all this damage, there's a mental toll for every one of those victims. How is that handled down there? Well, there's a lot of services that will come in, including additional grants to the state for mental health counseling. Federal agencies have their crisis lines opened up for people that just need to talk to somebody, and that's being communicated. But my advice to people is, you know, you're coming off the adrenaline of this. You're now starting to set in how bad it is. And it seems like this will never end. It's never going to get better. You don't even know where to start. And I tell people one day at a time. These are going to be very difficult, long recovery periods. And it seems insurmountable. And you got to work this step by step. But I just tell people, you need to take care of yourself one day at a time. Craig Fugate, former FEMA administrator, current Chief Resiliency Officer for One Concern. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. And in other news... I'm Gianna Gelosi. Plans are in motion to put the new King of England on the kingdom's currency, both in Great Britain and beyond. The debate over which iconic faces should appear on Australian currency has flared up again. Two separate petitions are now circulating online to feature crocodile hunter Steve Irwin on the country's $5 bill instead of King Charles III. Queen Elizabeth II is featured on the bill and on a coin. Assistant Treasury Minister Andrew Lee said the new king may not replace his mom on the $5 note in the way the new coins will feature him. Lee saying the coin is a matter of tradition, but the queen's appearance on the bill was more about Queen Elizabeth II's personality rather than her role as a monarch. A petition on the Parliament of Australia's website argues no one is more vital to Australian culture than Steve Irwin and that the late zookeeper is beloved by all and has become synonymous with Australian values and, quote, more importantly, he's just a good bloke. Irwin died in September of 2006 after being pierced in the chest by a stingray barb in the Great Barrier Reef. Six years ago, a fan tried, to no avail, to petition to add him to the $100 note. The Royal Mint, that's the maker of British coins, will be phasing in the new king on British money. Australian, Canadian and Belizean dollars also all feature the Queen and a reminder of the British Empire's colonial reach. For the Fox News Rundown, I'm Gianna Gelosi.
Precise, personal, powerful. It's America's weather team in the palm of your hands. Get Fox weather updates throughout your busy day, every day. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Rate and review the Fox News Rundown on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Tammy Bruce. What's on your mind? We've been watching the radicalization of parents in our great country as they stand up for their own rights at school boards and in defense of their children as COVID remote learning revealed the extent of leftist indoctrination in schools. One might be under the impression that this is exclusively a problem in the United States, but nothing could be further from the truth. Attempts to indoctrinate our children is an international problem because it's part of the leftist agenda. Wherever leftists hold sway in Western civilization, using state agents to take control of children and degrade the concept of family remains an essential objective. Now we have parents in the United Kingdom striking back with some success. This is great news, and we should not be surprised. No matter where you live, what language you speak, what your race or ethnicity, no one lays around at night dreaming about agents of the state taking control of their children. The fact that leftist union members are using the public education system and children to further their agenda is typical and has been developed over decades. For parents Nigel and Sally Rowe in the United Kingdom, the issue surrounds transgender policy at their boys' school. At least that's what leftist activists want everyone to think. Whatever the woke agenda issue in schools, it's really about manipulating parents into believing their influence with their own children is harmful and limited. It is about the left wresting control of children away from their parents, keeping parents shut out of the education process and hacking away at the very notion of family. This is the only point, and children are the pawns in this sick game. The Rose decided to take action when their six-year-old boy came home from school confused about why another boy was suddenly no longer a boy and dressing as a girl. They contacted the school expressing their concerns and were met with much more than just a cold response. The Christian Post reports in July of 2017, the Church of England officials wrote to the Rose explaining the school doesn't require any form of medical or psychological evaluation when a student requests to be affirmed as a member of the opposite sex. The family was given an ultimatum to accept the policy or leave the school. They and their six-year-old sons were told by a Church of England primary school that they would be labeled transphobic if they refused to accept policies that require affirmation of two trans-identified students' gender identities. And now an incredibly exciting development after five years of fighting. The government finally settled and the Rose won. They paid the couple their legal costs and the UK Department of Education agreed to reform the government's trans-affirming policies in schools. For the Rose, as is the case for parents here in the United States, this is not about transphobia, it's about parents' rights. Americans are fighting back in a number of ways, including parents confronting school boards, running for office, and lobbying their state legislators. Many have shifted from public schools to homeschooling or private education. Parents becoming mobilized in defense of their children and of themselves as the moral, cultural, and intellectual arbiters of their children is heartening and exciting. It bodes well for the future of our country, the UK, and other nations facing the same political agenda in schools. Leftist activists intent on fundamentally transforming this nation can only do so with parents and family out of the way. So they bully and harass and try to intimidate parents with name-calling, threats, and labels.
The left and Democrats also want you to think that fighting back is hopeless, but they continue to underestimate the American people and especially American parents. But just like how the UK found out courtesy of the Rose, it doesn't take a village. It takes moms and dads. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts.